Last night, this place was packed out. We had more than 900 people who showed up to be a part of a celebration. Yeah. It was actually the largest turnout aside from uh, Christmas Eve that we've had in a single service since pandemic. Um, it was the celebration of 20 years of Celebrate Recovery here at Chapel Hill Church. And we found out that 20,000 people have been ministered to in the ministry of Celebrate Recovery. 5,000 have participated in step studies. That's an amazing thing. And as we were saying, this is just the first 20 years. There's, here's to uh, 20 more. It was great, too, because the skit guys were with us. And so it was a chance for us to laugh. And right now, we could all use a laugh, don't, wouldn't you say? It would be a good time to laugh after two years of pandemic and now the craziness in Ukraine, we could all use with a little humor. Turns out, however, the world has been crazy for a long time. 2,000 years ago, it was a little crazy too. Peter was writing to friends of his, exiles, who were spiritual believers of Jesus in a very unspiritual world. And he was writing to encourage them, especially because it was a crazy time. They had a tyrant in power. They were being persecuted. Some of them were being uh, killed. And so Peter was writing at a time that felt very crazy to them. And, and, and he offers us uh, some words on what we, how it is that we ought to live in times such as this. So give ear to what the, the Apostle Peter has to say to us these 2,000 years Later, We turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Here's what Peter wrote to those spiritual ex exiles in their crazy world. He said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. A few days ago, Cindy and I had, oh, by the way, we're talking about end times, and, uh, and last week something occurred that suggests to me that the return of Christ is imminent. I wonder if you saw it. The United States Senate had a unanimous vote. <laughs> Do you see that? By unanimous consent, the chamber passed the Sunshine Protection Act, the law that will make daylight savings time permanent. Now, it still has to go to the House of Representatives, and they can screw anything up, so who knows. But the fact that a hundred American senators could agree on anything, if that's not a sign of the end times, I don't know what is. Now, if they can just start working on some things that really matter to our country, right? A few, week, a few nights ago, Cindy and I uh, invited a young soldier to dinner. He's stationed at JBLM. He worships with us from time to time. And inevitably, the talk turned to the Ukraine. Eighty years ago, when the unrest was happening in Europe, you, you, you could be kind of comforted because things that happened in Europe could stay in Europe. But in a nuclear world, we all pay attention to a madman who has his finger near a launch button, don't we? And let's face it, folks, 
We are a target-rich environment. You got JBLM, you got Kitsap Naval Base, you got Banger uh, Trident Sub Base, and as our young soldier friend pointed out, and guess who's right in the middle of all of that? Little old Gig Harbor, absolutely. So let's be honest, we have all thought about it in these last three or four weeks. The threat of war, the threat of nuclear war, some of us want to just put it out of our minds. Some of us can't get it out of our minds. We are obsessed about it. But the possibility that a far distant war could become close and personal real quick, well, it's a reality for us, isn't it? So, what do we do? What do we do with this? How do we respond when such a threat hangs over us? Like when Peter wrote, the end of all things is at hand. What do we do? So are these the end times? I have been asked that question more in the last two years than any other time. In, 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 what is it, Pastor Mark, are we in the end times? Do you think this is the end times? And it is very easy to see why. If you are a student of the book of Revelation, chapter 6 has a vision of four horsemen who are going to bring about the apocalypse. The vision shows a white horseman who was intent on destabilizing the nations of the world. Then comes the red horseman who will bring about war. Then the black horseman who brought food shortages and famine. And finally, the pale horseman who brings pestilence and death. So international unrest, war, shortages, famine, pestilence, and death. They're reading our headlines today, aren't they? Now, I don't know if these are the end times but we're certainly closer to them than we were 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote, the end of all things is at hand. So, what do we do, we believers in Jesus? When the four horsemen are galloping across the land, when we have a nuclear target painted on our town, what do we do? When the news channels are 24-hour doomsday purveyors, what do we do? Besides turning off the news channels. Well, here's what Peter says to all of us. He says, keep your head. Keep your head. I want you to listen again. Verse 7, chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, what do we do? He says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. The Greek idea behind these two phrases, self-controlled and sober-minded, can be summed up in one phrase. Keep your head. Keep your head. The end of all things is at hand. He says, therefore, keep your head. When everyone around you is freaking out, or hoarding toilet paper, or full of suspicion, or spouting crazy theories, you keep your head. When those around you are numbing their pain, or distracting themselves with debauched living, or Netflix binges, keep your head. When news channels scream at you, and chicken little is squawking, the sky is falling, you keep your head. Be self-controlled. Be sober. When I was a child, my dad used to tuck me in. And uh, we would talk. We would sometimes play card games. But I have a memory that's as fresh as the day you did it, Dad. The night that you read to me a poem that you said was your favorite poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling. If you were a dad, if you are a grandpa, you ought to Find that poem and read it to all of your children in your lives because it is great. It's asking, what does it mean to be a, a man? And the opening line for Rudyard Kipling's If, it goes like this. If you can keep your head 
when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. It is easy to feel like the sky is falling, like things are never going to return to normal. No sooner has a pandemic died down than crazy Putin invades Ukraine. It would be easy for us to lose our heads, lose control, lose hope. And Peter says, because the end is near, because things are going crazy, you must keep your head. It's good advice for everyone, but it is particularly good advice for Christians. One commentator writes about this passage this way. He says, when it comes to the end times, too many Christians have been anything but clear-headed. For too long, Christians have been obsessed with the end. With every new conflict in the Middle East comes a slew of new end times books. A religious leader sets a date for the end of the world and gains a following. Christians, drunk with the idea of the coming end, prepare for it by selling their possessions, withdrawing from society, and even gathering in a designated location in order to wait for the day. But Peter is clear. We are not to lose our heads. We are to think clearly. We're not to set dates. We're to be ready. We're not to withdraw from society. We're to proclaim God's excellencies to that society. We are not to panic. The end of all things is near, Peter writes. Therefore, keep your head. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Be clear-minded. That's how we believers in Jesus are supposed to think. Now, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? Well, Peter tells us clear-minded, non-anxious Christ followers to do four things in these end times. He says, I want you to pray, love, welcome, and serve. Pray, love, welcome, and serve. Say it with me. Pray, love, welcome, and serve. Once again, I feel like Captain Obvious. These are such basics. But these are the basics to which we must return, especially in crazy times. When everyone around us is losing their head or going crazy with panic, we calm, Christ-minded people will pray, love, welcome, and serve. First, we pray. Listen to all of verse 7. He writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be controlled and sober-minded. Look, for the sake of your prayers. Why do we keep our heads? Why do we remain self-controlled and sober-minded? For the sake of our prayers. In other words, Peter says, Don't waste your time fretting, worrying, perseverating on these things. Keep your head clear and calm and sober so that you can do something that actually makes a difference in such times as these. You can pray. If you aren't praying every day for God's will to be done, if you're not praying something like the Lord's Prayer every single day, if you aren't praying every day that God will deliver us from the evil one, if you aren't praying every day for the people of Ukraine and for the peace-loving citizens of Russia who are rising up in opposition... If you aren't praying every day that God would use these uncertain times to draw people to himself and to draw his scattered church back together, then you are missing out on the opportunity to be a part of God's victory over evil. Our prayers, whether we believe it or not, whether we understand it or not, are powerful weapons against our enemy. So, Peter says, keep your head for the sake of your prayers. Pray, God's people, pray. And then he says, love. Verse 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. 
We all know that love is the greatest of spiritual gifts according to 1 Corinthians 13. And Peter, earlier in his letter, speaks about the power of brotherly love, Philadelphia, among the Christian family. But here, he really leans in on it. He said, above all. More than anything else, whatever else you do, if you don't do anything else, do this. He says, because the end of all things is at hand, love one another. Earnestly, he adds. And that word, earnestly, in the Greek, it means fervent. It means intense. It means ferocious. You are to love one another ferociously. Not just a phoned in love. Not just a love you, bro, love. The way that we face hard times, the way that we face even end times, is that we cling to each other with ferocious love. And when we do that, when we love each other ferociously, Peter says something magical happens. He says something disappears. Did you see what it was? Sin. Sin disappears. He says love covers a multitude of sins. It hides them. Now, Peter's not talking about God here. He's not talking about our relationship with the Lord and our sins against the Father. He's talking about our sins, our offenses, our grievances against each other. The things that irk us, the things that hurt us, the things that irritate us about each other. And Peter says that when you set your mind on loving a brother or sister ferociously, it covers up those offenses. It hides them. We stop seeing them. It's kind of like sheetrock mud for relationships. Any of you ever put up drywall? You put up drywall, and, and just by the time you're done screwing that thing in and cutting in the light sockets and the power, the power uh, sockets and, and, and piecing in all the smaller sections, that wall looks terrible. I mean, it is pitted and ugly and unpresentable, and all you can see are its imperfections. But ah, little tape and three coats of sheetrock mud, and suddenly the wall is flawless. Of course, it's not really flawless at all, is it? The flaws are still there. You just don't see them. They're hidden. All you see is the beauty of the finished product. When I shared this illustration with my staff, Pastor Julie said, yeah, it's like Estee Lauder double wear. <laughs> Guys, I, you're not laughing either. I haven't got a clue. But apparently that covers a multitude of sins too. That's what ferocious love does, Peter says. And I've had a, re a recent experience in my own life that I would love to share with you about this kind of earnest love, and I share it with permission. My sister Dana and I have never gotten along. She's two years my junior. We are different in many ways, and those differences over the decades have turned into grievances and suspicions against each other. And we recently had what was perhaps the nastiest phone call of our lives. Hard and harsh things were said and all of our faults were on full display. And I'll be honest with you, I had given up hope that we would ever be reconciled. And then God did the darndest thing. And he began to turn work in our hearts. Dana reached out to me kind of cautiously but graciously. I reached back Equally cautiously, equally graciously, I said, how about a coffee date? And so we did. It was the best conversation we had ever had in our lives. 
and it was the start of regular coffee dates. And we've begun, my sister and I have begun to love each other earnestly. And discovered that Peter's right. Love covers a lot. I don't see the things in her that I once saw. And I believe she would say the same. We see each other differently. And it is one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has given to me in recent years. The redemption of my relationship with my own sister. Never give up on God's love. No matter how strained your relationship might be, God's love covers a multitude of sins. So we face hard times, even end times. We face them with prayer. We face them with love, earnest love. And then we face them with welcome. Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In these frightening, uncertain times, he says, don't hunker down. Don't hide. Don't hoard. Don't isolate. Don't go into your bomb shelter. Don't be suspicious of your neighbor. Open your homes to one another. Open your hearts to one another. Open your tables to one another. Share with one another in all times. But especially in hard times, in end times, the gift of an open door and a warm welcome is an incredibly calming gift. I confess something to you. I have never been a very hospitable person. Some of you have that gift. I don't have it. In fact, I've always kind of viewed my home as my castle. And when I got, a home, got home from a long day of meetings and work and counseling, I want to pull up the drawbridge and be, hide behind my moat. But when Cindy and I moved into our new neighborhood a few years ago, God laid it on our hearts to be more hospitable. And it wasn't just to be a, a means to an end. Not just so that we could make friends and then they'll come to church or become Christians. No, to be just for its own sake. Warmth and kindness and hospitality just for its own sake. And the result is we have received the gift of new good friends. The sanctuary that we find in the warm embrace of hospitality and good times and especially in bad times is one of the great gifts of the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, be hospitable. And by the way, don't be grouchy about it. I love those last two lines. Without grumbling. Don't convince. Don't complain about how much dinner costs you. Be hospitable and don't be grouchy about it. So pray and love and welcome. And finally, the way we face end times, the way we keep our head in end times, serve. As each has received a gift, he writes, use it to serve one another. I discovered something this week that was new to me. It might be new to you. The idea of service, mutual service as a virtuous practice, is uniquely Christian in ancient society. Did you know that? The Old Testament says almost nothing about serving one another. In fact, you don't find that virtue in any of the Greco-Roman culture as well. Servants were the ones who served. Slaves were the ones who served. Citizens didn't serve. Jews didn't serve each other. It was beneath their station in life and unimaginably gauche. And then along came a guy named Jesus who said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And when he knelt at the Last Supper 
to wash his disciples' muddy, manure-covered feet. It was an unprecedented, unthinkable, shocking act of humility. Humiliation, as far as Peter was concerned, remember, he would not have him do it. And I wonder if that moment with his master washing his feet was in Peter's head when he wrote these words. We who follow Jesus are called to a life of service. There is no act of service that is beneath us because there was no act of service that was beneath our master. In hard times and in the end times, when everyone else is looking after their own self-interest, we follow the example of Jesus who emptied himself and to become a servant. And we serve others. So the end of all things is at hand. Keep your head. Pray. Love. Welcome. Serve. I want to point out one last thing about these actions. All of them take place in community. Three times in that little phrase, that little passage, Peter uses the words one another. Did you see it? He says, keep loving one another earnestly. Show hospitality to one another. Serve one another. The way we face hard times, even end times, he says, is together in community. And one of the greatest tools of the enemy of our souls, the evil one, is isolation. He wants to drive us apart. And he managed that brilliantly with COVID. He separated us. He locked us into our homes. He made us afraid of each other, afraid to be together. He convinced us that being together would kill us instead of giving us life. And so much so that even when the threat of COVID evaded, we have developed habits of isolation that are hard to break. And so I... Even for the most immuno, except for the most immunocompromised among us, and I realize there are still some that are in that state, there is no reason we should not return to worship together, to be with one another, to love one another, to welcome one another, to serve one another, because you cannot do those things in isolation. Last week, I spoke to three dear couples, three Chapel Hill couples who have not yet returned to worship. And it's not because of fear anymore. It's because isolation has become habitual. And I want to say to all of you and all of you who might be listening, I want you to hear me. We cannot love one another. We cannot welcome one another. We cannot serve one another if we hide from one another. It is time to come home. To return to community. I have 500 of my sheep who have not yet come back. And the good shepherd cares for every single one. And so I want you to hear the heart of your shepherd who wants to be a good shepherd under his over-shepherd. I entreat you, come back home. Because whatever crises we face, whatever evil uh, the, the evil one wants to do to us next, we will face it better together. And Why? Why, when, when our culture hunkers down and hides and self-serves, why do we choose instead to do the countercultural, counterintuitive things of praying and loving and welcoming and serving others? Peter gives us an answer for that too. And it's the very last part of that verse. 
We do all of these things. We keep our heads, we pray, we love, we welcome, and we serve in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The reason we keep our heads when everyone else is losing theirs The reason that we stare down COVID and stare down Putin and stare down inflation and stare down every other adversary that threatens and terrifies the world is because of this. We love, we serve, we trust, we honor the King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, the risen one. To him and to him alone belong all glory, all dominion, all authority, all power forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. In times like this, whether they are the end times or just closer to the end times, we Christ followers need to behave as if we really believe what we say we believe. Jesus Christ is Lord. Is he or isn't he? And if he is, then act like you believe it. Let us pray. We declare you to be King of kings and Lord of lords. You who did not count equality with the Father something to be clung to, but emptied yourself and took on the form of a servant and were found in the human form. You who placed yourself on a cross to pay the price that we could never pay. You who defeated the enemy in all of his vile, evil ways. With a word, you can drive him out. You are the Lord of all. We who sometimes feel victimized by the world, victimized by tyrants, we need to remember to keep our heads because you are still the Lord. You are still in control. And nothing will get past you. So we, your children, submit to you. We pray that your spirit will fill us anew so that we might keep our heads. And keeping them, we might pray. And that we might love ferociously. And we might welcome all. And we might serve them when they come. That is what we ask you to help us do. Lord Jesus Christ, our King of kings, and our Lord of lords, and all of his children said, Amen. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 1030 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.